Hello. You are listening to the Carol Connection. With your host, Jerry Carol. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Carol Connection. I'm your host, Jared Carroll, here to bring you guys another great episode. I did want to take a chance to shout out my last week's episode, episode 129, featuring David Pedro. He is a guitarist for Sue's Garage, as well as a real estate student, so we talked a little bit about that in the podcast, and kind of him shifting gears from college to more real estate, and also with COVID, how that kind of inspired him to get into a band and play more music, and how just doing music at a young age inspired him to actually get into a band now. And I love I love those guys. So I've had a couple of them on the podcast now. So please go check them out on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you listen to music as well. And you can check that out at carolconnection.simplecast.com as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening platforms. If you like to watch your podcast, you can check it out on YouTube to search The Carol Connection or Jared M. Carol. It should pop up right for you. And if you want to be a guest on the podcast or return as a guest, please reach out to me on Instagram at Jared M. Carroll or at The Carol Connection, and we'll schedule something out. So I've been kind of booking a lot of people and trying to get people lined up. So if you want to get on, I guess you could say a waiting list, like just hit me up and I'll, I'll work with you and try to get you on the podcast. So this week's episode, bringing you episode 130, big number for me. I love, I love those round numbers where it hits that. Uh, Shaylin Fisk. Hello. Hi, I'm Shaylin. I'm um, soon to be Shaylin Sears, married in June. Shout out Cam. He's sitting yeah, on the couch. You guys can't see him. He's, he's in the studio. <laughs> I but. Know, 10 years in the making. But um, yeah, so I'm excited to be here, though. Very I'm exci- excited. I'm very, very glad excited. that you reached out and wanted to do this. Yes. I always love when people uh, will listen to an episode and get some feedback and want to be a part of yeah. the process. And I always love that. Yeah, I do have to shout out Cam again. He's really pushed me to do it. He thought it'd be very good for me to come on and talk about everything that I've gone through and to finally kind of put a close on a chapter in my life. So yeah. And we'll, excited. we'll dive into a lot yeah, of these definitely. different topics throughout yeah. the, the podcast. So I like to open up kind of with a little bit of who you are and what you're yeah. doing currently. So I am currently finishing school. I'll be done in March 10th is my official last day. Um, I went to school to be special ed teacher. Um, but in the works of that, you have to be regular ed certified. So that'll be one grades one to six and then special ed mild to moderate, which is like a lot of your behavioral challenges with students. Um, that'll be depending on what school you get put into. It can range from like K to eight, um, depending if the middle school is with the elementary school. Um, and then I'm also getting severe disability cert, which is like just an add on to my degree. Um, so those are for students with severe disabilities and intellectual or physical. So yeah, I'm done in March, and I'm really excited. I already have a teaching job lined up for April, so that's really exciting. That's really great, and we're going to dive into a lot of that, too, in the yeah. later part of the podcast as well. And I like to open up with family dynamic, and I always like to explain to the new um, possible listeners that why I do uh, family dynamic, and I talk about family dynamic because it's we're talking about your life here. Yeah. So definitely. we're trying to get the the foundation established and mm-hmm. We're going to build on that. And I think it's always important to ask these questions about your family and kind of where you came from a little bit because most people don't. And a lot of the relationships that we form during those years do stem and affect how we grow as people. So like I said, everyone, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, I'll let you kind of take the floor and we'll go with that. That sounds good. Um, Well, I'm an only child, so that makes a big impact on everything we'll talk about. Um. My parents divorced when I was 10, um, so it's been mostly me and my mom for a really long time. I'm very, very close to my mom. Um, I definitely had, like, attachment disorder to her when I was little. Like, I could not step away from her. Um, like, just needed to be with her at all times. If she was 10, 15 minutes late, I would think she, like, died. And I was like, yeah. So, um, but she is my best friend and, like, biggest supporter in my life and has really influenced pretty much every aspect of my life. She's also a teacher for special ed students. So really apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, me and my dad have a very complicated relationship. Um, he does suffer from alcoholism and anxiety and bipolar and narcissism for sure. Um, although he wouldn't admit it cause narcissism and, um, so that's been a real struggle growing up. Um, mostly my later life, 
Um, my mom really worked to hide it from me when I was little because she thought like, well, you're so young. Like, how does a kid understand what alcoholism is? So I didn't find out that he was truly an alcoholic and the, partly the reason for my parents' divorce until I was like sixth grade, seventh grade, beginning of seventh grade. Um, So that was kind of like a shocker for me because I was like, well, what are you talking about? Like, that's like he drinks, but it's nothing abnormal. Um, but their marriage was definitely rocky. I just was not aware of it. Um, my dad would just sleep on the couch and I would sleep with my mom until I was like 12 because I was so anxious and stressed to not be with her. Um, eventually I grew that from therapy. Um, when I was nine prior to my parents' divorce, um, I was having daily panic attacks, like every single day, multiple times a day in school, out of school, daycare, everything. Um, and my mom working at Bradley, she was like, something is going on. There's anxiety disorder on both sides of my family on top of OCD, depression, ADHD, um, whole slew. And so I went and got an eval done. Generalized anxiety disorder was like the main cause. And then I would have OCD, but a lot of people have the concept that OCD is like organizing things. But I had the like intrusive thoughts of like, what if I don't wake up in the morning? So there'd be nights I wouldn't sleep. Like I would just be up all night being like, if I go to sleep, I'm not going to wake up and I'm going to die. Um, so I found shortly after that, my therapist. And then um, I've been with her since I was nine. So shout out to her because probably would not be a functional adult in any aspect of my life without her. I see her weekly. So it's amazing. <laughs> and the importance of how she's given me like a safe space outside of my mom of like, she has no, she's obviously very in part of my life, but there's no bias. She's kind of like that outsider that she doesn't really have a foot in my life to deal with like that first perspective of the day to day. Um, so just to even like normal strategies of like, oh, we're planning the wedding. And she's like, oh, well, you should do this. Like this helps you plan it. So I have like this Google Docs going right now of every single thing that I need to do up in every month until the day of the wedding. So just so it's not so in your face. Um, but that has definitely been a real help with everything with my dad. Um, his alcoholism when I was in seventh grade was kind of like sporadic. So like if he wasn't going anywhere. He would drink. And one night we had, he was staying at my house with my mom. They had like, it was like the most messed up divorce, but it worked in the sense of he would stay over Christmas Eve. So in the morning he was there to open gifts. Thanksgiving, he'd go to my mom's side of the family. Like we've always done. Um, he's best friends with my mom's dad back in the day. They knew each other prior to him and my mom getting married. Um, so he would just like be there all the time. He'd come over after work. He had a key to the house. Like it was almost like they just didn't live together, but still were married. Um, but we had a pipe burst that night and me and him were planning to go. I think we were going up to like Connecticut for the night after. And he was just drinking and drinking and drinking. So the pipe burst, we had to fall. And I remember it so vividly, like, some my mom must have said something minuscule and he just like lost his shit and um like got in her face was screaming at her like to the point I thought he was gonna like punch her in the face and I've never seen him physically abuse her he's definitely been very emotionally kind of abusive with like oh you made this for dinner but I don't like this and she's like well you didn't tell me anything um or you're wearing that outfit like very just like criticizing and I was crying on the couch because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know he was drunk. I didn't even know what being drunk was. And he, I just remember him standing laughing at me being like, why are you crying? Like, we're just, we're fine. And I'm like, you're getting in her face screaming. So that was definitely like my wake up call of like, something is going on and something isn't right. And that was like the start of it all is like just that one night that has like, I've had nightmares about it even to this day. And now I'm, I'm going to be 23 on Tuesday. So um, it's been, and that was a decade ago at this point. So it's definitely been a roller coaster with him. And being an only child has definitely 
greatly impact that because we talked about this earlier, but like there's nobody else who's gone through that. Like all my friends, their families are shockingly, but all of their parents are still together. Like they really, their parents don't have alcoholism, which it's like no disease like that. It's really hard to understand. And I feel like as I'm older, people expect that now that the trauma is like done occurring, that you shouldn't have like the trauma response to it or the flashbacks or like the PTSD symptoms from it. And there's more like to the story too of like, as I got older, it just progressively got worse. Um, seventh grade, I met Cam in science class. And when I first, when we first started dating, like we were so young, it was like the most innocent relationship from that moment. Like my dad just like was not about it. And he would just like criticize Cam and like just criticize my relationship, even though Cam like never hit me, never yelled at me, never said anything mean, never, nothing. Like just was always there. And like, it was just weird. Like, like it was weird because my mom was like very happy for me and all of that. And so that definitely put a strain on our relationship. And I think he was kind of pissed off that I chose like, a boy over your dad but it's like that's a pretty normal like growth of your life is to kind of separate from your parents I'm so very close to my mom though so maybe not so much but and progress into like that true relationship and make kind of like your own family um and so throughout middle school it wasn't terrible his drinking although we'd go to concerts and there'd be nips in his pockets and wouldn't drive because he wasn't sober to drive Um, And then come high school, he was pretty good my freshman and sophomore year, the beginning of my sophomore year, but the end of it was the first time he went to rehab. Um, Me and Cam were celebrating one of our anniversaries, and it was in June, so near Father's Day. The holidays were always big triggers, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, like any holiday. But Father's Day was like the biggest one. He has a very strange relationship with his dad, too. I don't really know that grandfather. I haven't seen him since I was like eight. We don't know why, but, um, he was already really heavily drinking and I, he was starting to live at my aunt's at that time. Um, and we just knew like he's drinking and I was really aware of it at this point. And I show up, we're just talking. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to head out. I'm going to, me and Cam have dinner plans. So I go to Cam's house and we go to dinner we get back to his house. I was supposed to stay over. And um, he, I get a call from him. And he's like, I'm in the hospital. I, had an, I got an accident. I don't know the severity of it. I had to call my entire family. I had to call his brother, my aunt, my cousin, my mom. Um, the only person we didn't call due to his request was his mother, was to not call her. And we were like, oh, okay. He's like, I don't want to worry her. And we're like, okay, like, we'll respect it, like, but come to find out he was drunk driving and hit somebody's fence, and then was, he went to the hospital, so he, from there, he went to rehab for the first time and, like, a detox, but only ever signed in for, like, the minimum amount, so I don't know if everybody knows this, but detox is only seven days, and then you can, the minimum for, like, actual rehab is 14, So he would do detox for seven days and then would go to rehab for 14. But sometimes they count your detox seven days as your first week. So we thought he was doing the work, but in doing the work to be sober and like get his life back on track. And he was a very successful construction worker, like making over six figures easily every year. And um, just to see that fall apart. Like, you were so successful, loved his career, worked crazy, crazy hours, but genuinely, like, had every license you possibly could, would go back to school for it, Um, and just to see the effect of his alcoholism have, to go from that to literally being homeless is insane, to see the effects that addiction can have on a person, and how that impacts everything in your life, from marriage to family to your kids to even just your career and your day-to-day life um so that was his first trip to rehab and then it just was a spiral like every year every holiday was something um so 
sophomore to junior kind of settled out after that. My senior year, he was definitely drunk like all the time and it wasn't really coming to holidays like he used to. Um, and I think he really was struggling with me going to college of like his only kid going to college. And it was hard for my mom to have kids. So I'm an in vitro baby, which means you're made in a test tube. So um, she did four rounds of it, had a miscarriage one of the times. And I was the last round and was the only one. So out of 16 fertilized eggs, I was the only one. So my mom, and it costs a lot of money to do yeah, it. it. Insurance doesn't cover like any of it so she's been her desire to be a mom was ever since she was little whereas like I think my dad he wanted to be a dad but didn't know how because his dad was an alcoholic super abusive physically emotionally verbally um so you definitely can see where the trauma cycle continued but to me it's also like do the work to break it in some ways um like do better than your parents did to you and learn from that but um, I think he just was really struggling when I was 18. Like my only kid that we could ever have is now an adult and there's nothing I can do. Um, and I think there was just a lot of regret there too, of the drinking and all of that through high school. Um, so graduation came pretty sure he showed up to my actual graduation at the school drunk, which is embarrassing. Like I never wanted to talk about it with people because I'm like that's just kind of embarrassing that like oh there's Shaylin's dad wasted in the bleachers and like nobody really noticed but like that's something I noticed because I was very aware at this point of like if he's drinking do not piss him off do not say anything just whatever he says just roll with it and a lot of the times it would be criticizing my mom or criticizing me or just like little things he as I got older he tend to like mush me and my mom as like one person so I eventually started getting treated like the ex-wife for lack of a better term because my mom was is great like cannot give her one fault like she has some but like genuinely can't really complain about her because she had to do the work of being a single mom and dad and making sure like part of their custody agreement was he'd pay 50 percent of child support and any medical bills I had, but she was like, I'm not going to harass him for $10 for her copay and things like that. Like she wasn't, she's like, as long as Shailen gets what she needs and that's all I need. She's like, I don't need anything for myself. Um, but college came to after. So senior year, I'm backtrack. senior year graduation, he was wasted in the bleachers, but then we like, didn't fully know so then Father's Day comes, I go to my aunt's house where he's living at the time. And I remember him coming down the stairs. Like, it's just a vivid memory of him coming down the stairs. His eyes were yellow, which is a sign of kidney and liver failure. And he's just like slurring his speech, has no clue, like, what is happening at all. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I'm leaving. And Father's Day to this day, like, I absolutely hate the holiday. And, like, I understand the point of it. Like, I have amazing father figures in my life. I have my father-in-law. I have my grandfather on my dad and my mom's side. And my uncles are phenomenal. Um, My mom's brother and my dad's brother is still really heavily in my life. So I never felt like I was missing out on that father figure. But just seeing other people celebrate their dads. And I'm like, I don't really have one. I have one, but it's not a true like father like he's a parent but not really um so he ended up two days later having being rushed to the hospital because he was in full-blown kidney and liver failure and that was like the first time his alcoholism really affected his health um to this extent and again I was the one called I was the one who had to call my entire family um I had to bring him clothes that was the first time he really took rehab seriously. Well, 30 days seriously, not what people usually go for. Me and Cam kind of have a joke that like he's been to rehab more times than Charlie's seen, but that's, <laughs> that's really messed up. But it is the truth though, that unless you really do the work, you're just repeating the same cycle and you're not really doing it for yourself. And I think that was the part he was missing was he didn't want to do it for himself. So then 
he was sober for like a good six months. And then I started college and it, I was only like a month into school and here comes the phone calls of going back to rehab. I relapsed. I did this. I did that. And I was just like, this is like, I'm 19 at this point. Like I'm not even really an adult. Like technically I've only been an adult for a year. And even then, like I'm still living at home. I was commuting to school and he just was like, call your brother. You live with him. Like he's a real adult and he would like, they were best, best friends. So it was like, that was the person you should call. And it was always just me first. And I didn't know how to set that boundary at the time. Cause I'm like, well, it's my dad. Like, like I only have two parents and it's just me. So maybe this is what's normal. Like if I had siblings, maybe he would call an older sibling or something, but just me. So I don't know. And my mom was still pretty involved in his life and they had a really good friendship. Like it was very platonic, but a really good friendship. Like he had girlfriends in and out of that time. And my mom was genuinely like happy for him. But this was like, this is now affecting my daughter. And she was like, this is enough. So he goes back to rehab again. And he was there till like, almost Christmas time. So I don't think I really saw him that year, but it was just like the constant, like, is he going to kill somebody? Is he going to kill himself? Is he going to like kill himself and somebody else? Is he going to drive drunk? And there are many times I would not drive with him because it was clearly he was probably drunk. And there were times that I got in and didn't realize he was drunk till after the fact. And I'm like, wow, like 12 years old driving, like you're driving your kid drunk. And just, like, not a care of, like, my life to that extent of that, like, your alcohol fix was more important at that time. And that was really hard for me to grasp of, like, am I not enough for you to be sober? Like, I'm your only kid. And it took me a really long time to, like, get through that, um, which therapy has helped a lot with that. But there's still that piece of me that's, like, how could you not get sober for your kid? If anything, if you didn't want to do it for yourself, if you didn't want to do it for your brother, nothing, but your kid, like that was a part I really, really struggled with. Um, then sophomore year of college, it just really blew up. He went to rehab and I felt like I can't do this anymore. Like this is to a point, like I was just like fed up because back when I was 16, the first time we went to rehab, I felt like it was kind of my responsibility to clean up his mess because I always have and I've always defended him and like kept his secret. And like the people that knew were my closest friends. But other than that, people knew nothing besides obviously Cam because he was there for most of it. Um, But it was like it felt really shameful to have a dad that was an alcoholic because my friends would be like, my dad did this and that. And I'm like, um, my dad woke up today and wasn't dead. Um, he had me, I had my aunt, I called her and I was like, can we clean up his room? The first time he went to rehab, can we clean up his room? And when he comes home, he has a clean room. She's like, of course, Shailen. She's like, are you comfortable with that? I'm like, well, he's my dad. Like, it feels like my mess to clean up. And I was only, I was, I just turned 16 and we go in and there were we probably cleaned out a good two to three trash bags full of alcohol bottles. They were hidden in bed drawers. Like his whole bureau was full, closet full, and just kind of like hidden. So like if you walked in, you wouldn't see it. You could smell it, but you wouldn't see it. And so you would think like, oh, maybe he threw up from the alcohol or whatnot. But no, they were just hidden. And that was the fact that like he even recovered from that was in some ways a miracle because he probably had to be drinking like 30 to 40 nips a day, which for people who may not know are the small bottles of alcohol that you can buy. It's a New England term. (laughs) So he just, it was like rampage of alcoholism. And then it just, it settled out from there slightly. It wasn't as extreme, but my sophomore year in college, he kind of went missing for months. Like 
I started school in September. So maybe from like October to December, just kind of completely missing. And this was pre-COVID. So COVID started 2020. So like the end of my junior year. Yeah, the end of my junior year. So he, um, yeah, he went, I lost my train of thought. So sophomore year, oh, he was just missing basically. Like we kind of knew where he was. I was working up at a different special education school all the way past Gillette though. So you pass all the motels going all the way down. And I just like happened to see his car and I was like, hmm. So we knew where he was at least, but it just meant like he was drinking. So he ended up leaving my aunt and uncle's house, which he lived rent-free. They wanted him to be sober. They gave him anything he needed. My cousin was moved out at the time, who's also an only child, so which was kind of nice. So like growing up, we were pretty close and now he lives in Vermont, so it's kind of harder to see him. Um, and I also have my two cousins on my mom's side. One, They're both my bridesmaids. One's my maid of honor, one's my bridesmaid. So they are like my sisters, even though I never had any. We just are really close. And so he had everything like made, like food was in the house. He was just asked to clean his room, like very simple things. But come to find out, we knew his drinking was really bad because he hit it. He would pretend at 4.30 in the morning to put his work boots on and go to work, but would sit in his car all day and drink and then come home at like five and like dirty his pants a little bit and pretend that he was going to work because my aunt was like how do you not have money like not that she cared about her finances but she's like don't you work like why do you need gas money why do you need and come to find out he was secretly drinking at 4 30 in the morning which was insane like I don't like that concept of an alcoholism being like so bad that you need to literally wake up and drink and you go to bed and drink and just the cycle repeats so he just kind of went missing in these motels for months. So during that time, my mom was freaking out that she was going to have a phone call that he's dead in a motel and would have to tell me, like, your dad died from either ODing on pills because he was definitely taking some scripts at the time or just drinking or just like killed himself. So we didn't hear from him. And it was two days before Christmas. Nobody's heard anything from him in days. Um, we had like minimal contacts. So we weren't like super worried, but then Christmas time was here. Drinking usually got bad at Christmas and nobody's heard from him. He usually was calling like my grandma or my uncle kind of check in, but nobody heard anything. So I went up with Cam to go celebrate with his side of the family up in New Hampshire. And I was like, I have to go. Like, if he's gonna like it was heartless but it was like if he's gonna die he's gonna die whether I'm here or not so I was like I'm gonna try to have the most normal holiday possible and my mom did a wellness check on him because she knew the motel he was at and the police called her back and were like he's good he's just drunk in a motel and he called her and like flip shit and was like I don't understand why you would even call and tell on me it was almost like he was just more mad that like people knew he was drinking and it was like, we've been knowing we wanted to make sure you weren't dead. And she's like, I'm going to be the one who would have to tell your daughter that you're dead. And he just hung up after that. And it was a lot for my mom to deal with that. Cause she was, it's just me and her. So she knew that she was going to be the one to get the call. Like your dad's dead. And I've memorized the hospital phone number the local hospital number because they used to call all the time like oh your dad's in here drunk again they knew me very well sadly but it was every even now anytime that number rings of like my own doctor's appointments I'm like uh oh like he's dead like he, it finally happened and I would have to like brace myself for any phone call like this is the call like it because it was so real like whether he was going to kill himself, whether he OD'd on prescription pills, whether he was just going to die from drinking. And it just, it didn't stop anything. So then he calls me maybe a month or two after that. And I've just like stopped celebrating my birthday, really. Me and Cam kind of go do our own thing because there was always something around my birthday that would come up with him that it got to a point where I was like, every birthday is becoming a disappointed, 
like a disappointment. I don't want to set that up for myself. So like we just keep it low key. We go to Capitol Grill, dress up fancy for a night. And it's just like, that's all I want. Like I want a nice low key birthday because it's almost like if I have something extravagant, it's going to be like chaos. And, um, he calls me and he's like, I'm at the hospital. And I'm like, I'm at work. Like, what do you want? Like, I'm at work. Like, I can't. And he's like, I fell on my face outside of the grocery store. I blacked out. I fell. I just passed out. And I was like, were you drinking? He's like, no, 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 no. And I was like, I'm not coming to get you because I know this is a lie because I know you're homeless and living in your car in their parking lot. So because I would drive by and like, it's not like you went anywhere. I'd go down the street locally and there he is in the stop shop parking lot. And I'm like, dude, like at least like hide a little bit. Like this is obvious. And he's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, I'm not coming. He's like the guilt trip. Well, you're just like your mom. Like you're not going to come get me. You're my daughter. I'm your dad. So I call my mom hysterically crying. Cause I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like this is insane come to find out. So we go and get him because I'm like, I don't want to hear the bullshit anymore. Like, let's just go. I'm done. Like come to find out, we bring him to his car. It's outside of a liquor store and he passed out in front of it. And my grandpa ended up going into that liquor store and he's like, um, there's a picture of your dad on the wall that he's now banned from entering this liquor store. Cause he was so intoxicated that he passed out in front of the door. And it's kind of funny. It's, like, not funny, but I'm also, like, your picture's on the wall of a liquor store. Like, they will not sell you alcohol. Like, I've never seen that ever, that, like, there's pictures of people on the walls of, like, do not sell. Apparently, it's a thing. So, he just, like, would call, like, and this was probably, like, the fourth time it happened that he called, like, prior to that, he called that he got kicked out of his sober house because he was drinking in the parking lot all day, and... The manager of the sober house loved my dad. So he called my mom and he's like, Cindy, like, you need to come get him. He's just drinking in our parking lot and he's been in his car drinking all day. He's like, he's not driving. So my mom calls him. She's like, she's like, Shalyn, I don't ever ask you to do these things with me. But she's like, I can't do this alone. She's like, I don't know what he's taken. I don't know what he's drinking. She's like. I just need somebody in the car. She's like, if you're in the car, he won't do anything. And it was to a point, like, we were kind of afraid of him because we don't know if he was mixing alcohol with drugs or what he was doing. So we think it was just, like, prescriptions, but we don't know. Like, his alcoholism has taken control so much that, like, the possibility of hardcore drugs was not really out of the realm. And he, like... It was a mess. He had vomit all over him. There was a knife in the passenger seat. There was just bottles and bottles full in the car. And he just, like, pissed himself. He had vomit all over him. So my mom's like, fuck. Like, we got to take him to the hospital. She's like, he's not in good shape. Like, we can't just leave him here. And I was like, well, can we call the ambulance? She's like, he doesn't have insurance. There, he has no insurance. He's not working. He's like, she's like, and, like, this is where her heart is, like, so good because I would have been, like, well, somebody will come get him. But, like, her heart is just so good of, like, I think because she remembered the person she married and was, like, this can't be the person I chose to have a kid with. Like, this is just not even realistic. And I was at a point where I was, like, I'm better off without it. Like, I can't deal with the drama. I can't get with the guilt trip or walking on eggshells of, like, are you drunk? And are you going to yell? Are you sober and still going to be irritable because you're sober? Or what are we getting? And it was just bad. In the car, he was like screaming at my mom of like the divorce was all her fault. They could still be married, that he should just kill himself. And then like so intoxicated that he was like, Shaylin, I have a gift for you. I was like, what? Like what possibly could you have with you at this moment? It was like this random water bottle cap. And he was like, here this is for you. And I was like, thanks. And like, I just had to like find the humor in this because without it, I would just like crumble. And I did for a while, but it was just like instance after instance and just waiting for the day. Like, all right, today's the day he's probably going to die. Like my dad is, I'm probably 
gonna get the call today. Like he killed somebody, he killed himself, like today's the day. And just like constantly, like he lived like that for like years of just are you gonna and then it got to a point where it's like, can it just like happen already? Like as heartless as it was, and I felt like a bad person. So I was like, I don't want anybody to die. But it was like the anxiety of it. I was like, can it something just happen already that is a concrete answer? And it just was wild to see how his life went from really successful in construction, making 200, 150 grand a year to homeless and drinking. Um, the final trip where he fell on his face, he did end up really being sober. And as far as I know, he has been sober for at least three years, which is huge. However, there's been no effort or action to make up for the wrongs he did. And he's apologized to me, but it's more than just me. It's my aunt, my uncle, my grandparents, both on sides, my mom's parents, my dad's parents, and my mom. Like more than anything is my mom who divorced, but still supported you for as long as she could. And I think that's like the biggest part of it is there's still like a guilt trip. So he'll send money and be like, did you get the card? Did you get the card? I send you money. I send you money. And I'm like, well, you owe 30 grand in child support. So (laughs) this $50 is great, but it's not enough. And dealing with my own anxieties, especially with COVID. COVID was brutal for me. I had like a wicked bad eating disorder. I lost like 30 pounds. And I'm very string beanie as it is. So for me to lose 30 pounds was just insane. I was over exercising like four hours a day, like crazy. Because I was like, well, I'm just sitting here in my house. Like what else is there to do? And it was the thing I could control when my life was so crazy. And I think it was just like COVID was kind of that tipping point of like, I now can't control anything, not my inner family or even like the global pandemic. So (laughs) it was like, it was a lot. And I ended up being like, I can't live like this. So I ended up really cutting ties with my dad, like have not seen or talked to him for almost four years now, besides like emails and some texting, but it's been harder recently. Me and Cam are moving in March, so that's super exciting. Congrats on that. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm nervous because I, I am sad to leave my mom. I can't lie. I'm excited, but I'm like... Yeah, I want to actually jump into yeah. and like... I wanted to allow you the time to talk yeah, about I that too. That, yeah. Because... There was a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, it's important. And like that was something you specifically brought up when yeah. we was, before we sat down in the pre-interview was like sharing that part and that you were ready to share that yeah. part. and. I believe in allowing people to share their stories. Yeah, and, and I, I really that, appreciate that. And I think it's important because I think a lot of people who might struggle with having an alcoholic in mm-hmm. their family and might not have ever heard someone be open, especially on my platform. Yeah. So to I, allow you to kind of talk through your own yeah. traumas and talk through of like that. what you've gone through. And I didn't want to interrupt it all because no, like there was a, it. there was a lot there to talk about. And yeah. like, that's like a huge portion of your life where we're talking from childhood all the way up. And like, that's mm-hmm. why and it interacts with every single piece of the way I do this podcast yeah. of talking childhood all the way through high school and yeah. having to deal with these things and talking about how therapy was a crucial aspect to things. Yeah. And I think that was like a huge point to, to, to revisit yeah. is like the importance of therapy and how it was I think people huge. need to, to explore that option. Yeah. So if you could talk about maybe some of the benefits that therapists yeah. provided for you over the years. I got really fortunate. She was my first ever therapist when I was nine. My mom was like, I don't know how to help her anxiety. It's something I'm not an expert in. She's like, I have students who deal with this stuff, but not my own kid. And I think it's harder to separate yourself when it's your own kid. And she was my first therapist and I've gone to her since. And just even having like the basic strategies of like, sometimes you got to fight your thoughts and like, if you think you're going to die, just go to sleep and see if you wake up and, um, really working through that. And as I got older, like in these events happened, I was seeing her sometimes twice a week because it was something almost every single day of, well, sober he's not and really just dealing with like my own insecurities about it and like I'm not good enough like how can your dad not get sober for you and she really worked to be like it's not a you problem like it's really deeply him 
And she's like, it's, you know it in your brain, but in your heart, it's hard to feel that. And just working through like controlling the small things in your life of like consistent schedules, planning out fun activities and creating this balance of like focusing on solely you and that it's okay to be selfish. And being an only child, like most people have that concept, like only children are selfish and spoiled. And I can't lie. I am spoiled. Like I really can't lie about it. And I'm very grateful for it. But my mom worked hard to make sure I wasn't a selfish person because she made me share with my cousins, even when I didn't like it. And just, we would donate places because she knew how easy being an only child, you can create that. And so it was really hard for me to be like, well, it's my dad. Like, how can I just leave him there? And she's like, you do. Like, it was kind of that tough love, but also the strategies with it and kind of putting even like a positive twist on it. Cause I'm genuinely getting better at it, but I'm genuinely kind of a negative person of just like glass half empty or I overstress when things aren't that big of a deal. They feel really grand and huge. Um, and just putting like a reality check on it and kind of being an unbiased person in your life of they know everything about you under the sun, but they're not involved in your immediate life day to day. They see you one hour a week and you tell them what you want to tell them and what you want to work on, but you have to put in the work in therapy. You can't just like expect them to fix your problems. Like you really have to truly want the help and want to be better for yourself. Like I also wanted to be better in my relationship because if something felt off, I'd be super anxious and I'd be like, he's mad at me. Like Cam's mad at me and he's never mad at me, but I would just think like very hyper aware of like slight changes in my environment. And she would have to be like, not everybody's your dad. Like in those reminders, or if I was anxious, she'd be like, these are strategies that you can use. And they've changed as I've gotten older. Um, but still like pros and cons lists, like we talked about earlier, that was like her big one. Like Pros of your dad in your life, cons, bigger cons. She's like, well, that's part of your answer. And she definitely gave me the confidence to like have like the courage to cut off that relationship. Like, cause it was hard because you have people telling you like, it's your dad, it's your dad, it's your dad. It's still your father. And it's like, she was like, I don't care. She's like, basically, I don't give a fuck. It's your dad or who it is. Like if he's this detrimental to you as a person, like, this is done. And just having that outlet in that safe space of there's no judgment in there. I could tell her anything under the sun and she'd be like, all right, what can we do to fix this? And I've gotten really lucky. And I know some of my friends have gone to therapy and it's hard. Sometimes it takes trial and error to find that person that you truly connect with. It's like dating sometimes. Yes, it is. It's dating your therapist. And, um, but I got really lucky with her and just knowing that there's somebody outside of like your friends and your family that really care about you and want like, yes, I pay her to help me, but (laughs) her heart of like, I'm invested in your life. And like, she'd go on vacation and be like, if something critical like happens or there's a crisis, like call me. She's like, I don't care where I am. You will not pay for it. Like call me. And just to have that like other security of like, I have my mom, but she was going through the same traumas in her own issues and her own traumas with my dad, that it was hard for her to understand where I was coming from. Cause she was like, but Sheila, it's your dad. I don't want him to die one day. And you have this regret. And me and my therapist worked really hard through all of that of, well, you might have that regret and that's a real possibility. And when it comes to that, we will deal with it. And knowing that there was somebody who will help you every step of the way And even just in my own anxiety, in my own OCD and depressive episodes from the anxiety and OCD and later in life, ADHD, definitely. She tries to tell me I don't have it. She's like, Shailen, please don't diagnose yourself. And I'm like, Dr. Ellis, I have literally every symptom. (laughs) Every single symptom. I'm like, I love you so much, but like I have everything. So, um, and just ways, because that creates like procrastination big time, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. doesn't help when I'm in my last semester of college. But I feel like going to therapy, you can talk about anything. So we've talked about my, my eating disorders and my over-exercising and like this idea of 
I need to be perfect and like really dissecting it down. A lot of it does tie back to my dad of like, I need to be the perfect person because if I'm not, people are going to leave. If I make a mistake, somebody's going to hate me and leave. And that did really affect at some point me and Cam's relationship, not to the point of like fighting, but just of my own issues of like, oh my God, like I made this mistake. He's going to hate me. And he's like, Shayla, that's not even a big deal. Like, I don't care, which was really nice for me to have that person that like, I could probably make this big blow up mess and knowing that he would be like, let's work through it. And having somebody total opposite of my dad was huge. And I've talked about him a lot in therapy and she's really helped me be like, your dad and Cam are very different people. And Cam clearly is not going to leave you after 10 years. And at this point, she's like, Shaylin, like, realistically, it's not going to happen. And just really putting, like, a reality check when you feel like life is falling apart. And just to have an outlet, like, I really, truly don't think I would be who I am or even functional as an adult because of where I was as a kid having panic attacks daily to now I have them maybe once or twice a year is huge. And that probably would have never happened had I not consistently gone to therapy and had support from her in all the changes. Like she's not just um, helped me with like my anxiety and OCD, but every life change that I've ever gone through. And even now with like the wedding coming up and stuff, like not so much anxious about the wedding. I'm more stressed about like, moving than I am about the wedding at this point but just that that's a big change in your life and how do you I don't deal with change well I absolutely hate it and we have like five well I have five coming up of graduation finishing school starting a job moving wedding like it's just it's a lot and most people do it step by step but now it's just like it's gonna happen in three months and you're like okay How are we going to deal? And just having that person that has known me my whole life, so I'm not re-explaining it. And she is like, well, let's really look back at why do you feel anxious? And I think it's just knowing that there's somebody who's not giving up on you when you feel like you've given up on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And like, again, appreciate the vulnerability to talk about going to therapy and of seeing a therapist because I do... I've talked to a lot of people that would struggle about mm-hmm. talking with talking about therapy and like they're afraid that people are going to judge them with therapy and stuff like that. So, advocate. yeah, so I always appreciate people that will actually talk about their experience with therapy yeah. in the hopes that it inspires someone else to give it a try Definitely. at least. Um, I do want to dive into like your yeah. career and stuff as we're getting to like the yeah, back end definitely. of the podcast. So uh, I'll let you kind of take the floor of like yeah. why you're doing what you're doing. Well, uh, basically, I love teaching. Like ever since I was a kid, when I went to when I started college, I was originally going to be a speech pathologist. I flipped in like occupational therapy and I was like, this is science and I hate science. So this is not going to flow for me. And it just really felt like I was not, they're helpful to the kids. Do not get me wrong, but it felt like I was only seeing glimpses of the students. Whereas I like to be with them all the time and really build that connection with them. And I started in high school with Special Olympics and then I did all the unified sports in high school, which I loved. And I'm still friends with most of them to this day. Like one of my friends, we FaceTime like weekly and it's just to see like how great she's doing too is amazing. Um, But also being able to relate to them is huge. Like I deal like I'm not typical. That's like not the right word, but like a functional adult and to see that I was once the anxious kid having panic attacks in the back of the class every single day. And teachers would just kind of leave me there. Whereas like, it wasn't helpful in like, I remember being in camp and would have panic attacks and the camp counselors would just walk away, which made me panic even more of like, they're not telling me something like something's going on. And to be able to be that person that they have like a safe space with. Cause like, I had it with my family, but outside of my immediate environment, I didn't always feel that. And to be able to like 
I've always wanted to make a positive impact. Like it sounds so cheesy and cliche, but to be able to be that person for them. And I get all the time, like, that's such a tough job. I don't know how you do it. And it's like, it is a tough job. Truly. Like there are, we have kids that bite and kick and spit and everything under the sun. But at the end of the day, it's like, they're just kids. They just want to be loved like me, you, everybody else. And they don't always have that because of the stereotypes that go around and that, oh, they're not smart, that they're not going to be successful adults, which is by far the truth. Like these are the students that have flourished and have like amazed me in every aspect of their sense of love and forgiveness and intelligence and perseverance. Like a lot of our students have medical issues as well of like seizures and they have sleep disorders and just being able to see them push through and come to school every day with a smile on their face. And sometimes at school, they have bad days, but we all do. And it's a matter of just having compassion. Like I don't look at it as a tough job per se, but more of like somebody needs to take care of them. Like sometimes they don't have the best homes in school is that safe space. And that is the only time they feel safe. We have a lot of students in group homes and foster care, and that's sadly not the best systems right now. And, um, it's just, I've loved it. And my mom definitely has a big impact on it because she's also a special education teacher, but just being able to have that impact. And there's also a great teacher shortage and without teachers, like I might be biased, but like nobody would be learning anything. I mean, yes, there's the internet, but there would just be like, there'd be chaos, honestly. And they are just as deserving as a successful life as anybody else. And it may look different, but it doesn't make it less important. And it just like the stories, they make you laugh every day and you just love going to work. There are rough days, but like, I can never say like, I hate work. And I've been doing it since I was 18 of being in like the special education schools. And I've tried public school. It's not my fave. I did it in student teaching and it's it's tough because sometimes it does do a disservice to the students who are in like they're called self-contained classes, which they're not always the greatest either. I've been fortunate to be in really amazing ones, but sometimes it's harder that they're not with other general ed peers. Um, so it's definitely like always been something I've wanted to do. I'm like lining up my stuffed animals, teaching them or I'd make my little cousin be the student. And she hated every second of it. But I thought it was great because I got to be the boss. So, but it's just, you go to work and it's, it's fun. Like there is a lot of work. Like it do take a lot of work home IEPs and a ton of report cards because you just, there's just not enough time in the day, but it's worth every second of it. Cause it feels purposeful, meaningful. Like you're doing something good outside of yourself. Like these kids might go to high school and may never remember me, but to know that they've even made it that far and beyond in that I can still see their success in some way is huge. And I do have most of my kids for like three years, which is amazing. So it's not just like, okay, goodbye. See you next year. Yeah. I think that you are making a huge impact as someone whose brother is Mm -hmm. high functioning autistic on the, on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe those kids don't always fully remember, but the families will. Yes. And I think that is something that you should definitely take home yeah. is like, my brother wouldn't have been as successful if he wasn't for teachers that are yeah. like yourself who care about what they do, who go to work and try to make a difference yeah, and go with that mindset. And we owe gratitude to those types of people. So like, yeah. as you're entering this this career field, like do understand that you might struggle in day to days where some yeah. days are going to be harder than others, obviously. but you are truly making an impact that's far greater than you could probably ever imagine. And I think that makes me feel like when I was struggling, like I'm kind of paying it forward for everybody who helped me like therapy. And I had some amazing teachers. Like there were, there was always those few, but overall there were teachers who really were like, is something going on? Like, what do you need? And most of the time I was like the smiling kid. Cause you don't want to show it, but to know that there were those people who helped you and 
that some of these kids don't have those families and that outside support system and that school really is the only place that they're going to learn how to be successful members of society, which is like stupid, but like how to have like successful peer interactions and friendships and relationships. And it will look different for every kid that will walk through my classroom, but that knowing every kid is unique and how to help them grow and achieve because no kid can be measured to a standard and that I'm very fortunate I I will be at a school that I will have creativity and flexibility of how to get every kid to reach their their goals and that it's not just to this is what the state says and we have to do it somewhat but overall it's a lot in my hands which it's pressure but it's also like a good feeling of like all right like we're gonna help them based on what they need not what every student needs and just what that particular student will need to thrive and a lot of the times it is managing behavioral problems because until their behavioral and emotional problems are like resolved and they have coping strategies and they feel safe they're not going to learn your simple addition like it's just it's not going to happen if you're crying in the corner every day of class you're not learning so it's making sure that they feel safe and heard and that their own traumas and backgrounds and illnesses and disabilities are really dealt with before getting into the academics. The academics are almost like second to their mental well-being, their physical well-being, and their emotional well-being, which I think is really important because if, like, even with people, like, as adults, like, you're not going to do well in your job if you're mentally struggling. Like, it's just a known fact. Like, you'll probably call sick and do this and do that to, or you'll just be horrible at your job. And I think it, kids aren't much different. Like they really are mini adults in some ways. And I think we forget that a lot of the times. Yeah. I think that's actually really beautiful that you talk about these things and you actually care about their mental well-being. Like I don't think enough people are paying attention to the younger generation and their mental health as Mm. much as we should. We talk about it, but nothing ever gets done. And I think especially with COVID like mm, that affects them as well. That was a huge, huge thing. And it's still the, we're, we're never going to understand the true repercussions of what COVID happened until years later, which is unfortunate, Mm -hmm. but we are seeing the signs as we're going now, which is like a scary thing. Now you can see it. And even some of the older kids who only miss like a year, you see it academically and socially. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's kudos to you for being willing to enter this this career field, knowing all the things that are going yeah, on with it. It's and- a little scary. I can't lie, but luckily, if my mom, if I need any help, so that'll be good. And I think your passion will carry you. I think yeah. a lot of people, and I we talked privately off the podcast about about passion and, and mm-hmm. careers. When you're able to actually make your career your yeah. passion, I think you're going to go really far with that. And then the mindset that you have and. Yeah with a lot of the stuff you've owned, you've already dealt with in your own life is going to, I think personally, from my own opinion, going to make you a better teacher than a lot of people. Yeah. Cause you're going to be able to, like you said, kind of pay it forward. Um, we are getting towards the end of the mm-hmm. podcast and this has been one of the most raw and honest and vulnerable oh, podcasts I've probably ever had. And like, I really appreciate that you wanted to come on the platform and share your story and, and I do that. Yeah. I appreciate you even giving me this opportunity because it's been something I've wanted to share, but it's also like, a sense of shame around it, but I finally am like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, just do it. <laughs> like- and I'm glad that you, you chose that. And I've had, I've had conversations with a de- tons of different people about different things. And I think this is a really unique one. And I think it's going to really stand alone. Um, last question I have yeah. for you is going to be, what is your advice for someone who wants to pursue their passion? I would think like, don't give up on yourself. Like no matter your struggles and Anything you deal with personally, like my anxiety definitely held me back for a while, but just to be like, you know what, it might take me longer to get there, but I'm going to get there and I'm going to work through whatever I need to do to get there because yes, I deal with this and yes, it affects me, but it also is something I can use to motivate me and to move forward. And I think just giving yourself that like grace and that time to be like, you know what, if it doesn't happen tomorrow, it's not going to happen, but I will make sure that it will happen and working through with whatever it may be. It may be like relationship, it may be work careers and 
anything like that and just recognizing like your own flaws as well, which my mental illness is not technically a flaw, but sometimes. So it definitely is like working through with that and like, how can I use this to my advantage? And a lot of the times it's like, I don't want to feel anxious, so I need to get it done or I don't want to feel anxious. So I'm just going to pull the trigger and not think about it and just get it done. And I think giving myself the grace that when I really can't do anything, sometimes getting out of bed is the best thing that I can do for the day. And just recognizing that there is patience to have within yourself and to treat yourself how you would treat somebody else and how you would motivate somebody else has been really huge for me these past few years. Yeah, I think that's amazing advice. I think that a lot of people could take something from that is treat yourself how you treat other people. Yeah. That's always a good yeah. way. I think it's a good way to leave yeah. the podcast. <laughs> Definitely. Chillin, I really appreciate no. you for coming on Thank this platform. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank Just for you. sharing your story. I think not enough people have the courage to actually do something like that. It took a and while. To, yeah, <laughs> everything, everything good takes time. Yeah. And to to be confident enough to to come on here and like I said, I wanted to give you the space and the time yeah. to do it without interrupting you and like really allowing you to get into the story and talk yeah. about your life. So again, like, and I'm not just like trying to blow no, smoke up your yeah. ass. Like this has been really amazing. So <laughs> Thank you. I do really appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. For you guys, if you guys like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your grandma. You could check it out at thecarolconnection.simplecast.com. Also be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening platforms. If you like to watch our podcast, search it on YouTube, The Carol Connection, or at Jared M. Carol. And if you want to be a guest or return as guest, please hit me up on Instagram at Jared M. Carol or at The Carol Connection. Text, snap, however you want to reach me. And until next time, guys, peace. Peace.